Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Wisdom and Wealth Pathways to a Life of Significance for you and your family. I'm Ryan Ruff, your moderator, and as always, I'll be joined by my right-hand man, really star of our show, and that is Frank Astorino of the Astorino Financial Group. And as always, we're going to dive into another wealth management-related discussion here on the show today, and really today's focus is surrounding succession planning. We're going to be diving into the ideas and the considerations surrounding succession planning, especially when a family business enters the picture. And to really double click deep into this conversation and uh, bring even more value to you, our audience, is we've got an awesome guest joining us. We have Mr. Ed Gramigna. He's a partner over at Fagri Drinker. Uh, and Ed, his, his world is, well, it's unique to say the least. Ed spends a lot of time advising high net worth individuals on the structuring, the management, and then of course the preparing uh, of the transfer of assets you know, with the goal in mind of, of course, minimizing some of the estate and the income taxes that go along with that process. So we've got a lot of really good insight from two fantastic professionals in this realm to get into this idea of succession planning specifically for family businesses. But first, before we bring Ed out, let's go ahead and welcome Frank aboard. Frank, it's good to see you this morning. How are you doing, sir? Great to see you, Ryan. And I'm also delighted for yeah, it's been three decades. I think I've worked with Ed Gramigna on estate and tax, and it's been a great journey. Yeah, no, absolutely. Ed's got a lot of great insight that we're going to be uh, tapping into today. Uh, so with that, let's go ahead and welcome Ed to the show. Ed, welcome to Wisdom and Wealth. Uh, thank you, Ryan. And thank you, Frank. Nice to be on. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ed, to, to kind of bat lead off in this discussion today, why don't we kind of start with a, a more high level question, if you will, given your background and working with these high net worth individuals and families. Uh, Ed, do you see in your experiences, is there a desire to to keep the business these days in the family, you know, after a family works so hard to build it up? And why not do you, A, you know, see that desire to keep a business in the family? Or do you find that it's more beneficial to sell while the company is at its, you know, peak value? Uh, What's your take on this? Yeah, that's a good question, Ryan. I think um, almost all individuals naturally want um, their business to succeed to their family if they can do it, if they have members of the family that um, are qualified and they believe they're qualified. Most people um, aren't looking to sell unless, frankly, they don't have someone to be a valid successor in the family. But, you know, most most of these individuals have worked very 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 hard taking huge risks to get where they are in the um in their business and they wanted to carry on and and uh, have their families benefit from it in, in most cases sure and frank i know you've had your own fair share of conversations with families on this front what do you see sure i think i began with this subject when i met ed's firm his predecessor uh they even established an institute on family-owned businesses at Fairleigh Dickinson. Um, I think the succession is is very sensitive and very big today, uh, particularly because you have a generation of children who are natives of wealth as opposed to immigrants of wealth, and it's mostly the immigrants that have created the wealth. And coupled with that is expectation. Uh, as a business owner, we want to maximize the business, make sure that everybody, whether they're related to the business or not related to the business, you want all your children to be treated fairly. And then it gets a little bit complicated uh, when you look at maybe a couple or one of the kids are coming into the business and their wealth expands exponentially as opposed to 
like everyone else. Um, and I think the other uh, concern that we have is um, is really the expectation. So it's it's something that's very topical today, and we're glad to have Ed Ed helping out with that. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, I want to dig a little deeper into one of those variables at play, gentlemen, and that is. Uh, the idea of how potential inheritors, inheritors, let's face it, some may be more interested in picking up the reins of that family business, while others just may not. So, let's let me ask you this then: in in the case of of an individual, maybe let's say not being interested in in taking on that responsibility, any recommendations or insight on on some steps that can be taken to ensure that the continuity of business, uh, you know, continues when it is ultimately transferred. Yeah, I guess there's a, a, a couple approaches there. Um, when, when we're assuming now that we have one or more family members in and one or more families out, members out, which is typical because um, usually not everybody's in the business, but you know sometimes they're both in. But for that person who's not in, um, their concern will be generally how am I getting my fair share? Is everything being done properly so that I'm getting my allocation, whether it's a third or, or, or a fifth or a fourth, whatever it happens to be. That's a big concern of the person outside. The person inside has typically worked along with mom or dad or both and has helped grow the, grown the business. So the person who's or person or persons who are in the business uh, feel that they've helped with their sweat equity to grow the business. So it really gets to be a, a problem between um, those not in the business and those in the business because um, typically the people in the business have helped grow it or they believe they've helped grow it. And typically the person at, that's not in the business thinks they're getting a free ride from mom or dad. So it's a very complicated emotional situation. So um a, a lot of ways to approach it and um, you know we can talk about those as, as we go along but it's uh, um, it's really in my experience very um, difficult for the for the for the for everybody to try to get a fair and equitable solution sure and Frank would you would you echo Ed's sentiment or or what do you yeah. see on your front well, the good news is that Ed and I and related accountants and um, evaluation experts have the toolbox to come up with a reasonable, fair solution. Uh, the challenge is always when emotion and behavior comes in. Uh, one of the things we've seen in the toolbox is a, an example of where a family-owned business, there was real estate and then there was stock. And the person most competent ended up uh, getting the stock or at least the majority share. And then the other siblings, there were several, got the rental income from the property. And um, so they were happy, you know, because they got free cash flow and didn't really have to do anything for it. It's really often, uh, I think when you look at the people who are looking for their fair share, like Ed said, you know, they may see their siblings gaining wealth and material goods, uh, cars, houses, second homes, and they're struggling along and they, you know, you, you have to be careful of resentment. So when I get involved, I usually assess the situation and it often involves an attorney like Ed, 
Um, we clarify what the issues, the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, the threats, and then we come up with a plan that includes usually a family um, constitution. And we use that family constitution to bring everybody together and have a reference point so no one could argue what we agreed to while everybody was getting along. Does that make sense, Ed? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, I mean, to kind of put a fire point in, on it is if the family can get together and talk about it, let's let you know let's say um there's two let's say there's three children okay one is in the business the other two are not so we can have a conversation if to get together and say um it, it depends on a couple of things whether there's other assets to satisfy the value that this that the person in the business is going to get if there's other assets to satisfy that one way to do it would be to say okay uh, you know one ch child a gets the business and child B and C get, in your example, stocks or cash of an equivalent value, and and they're off and running, and, and that works. If there's not um, equivalent value of other assets out there, it, that gets a little more complicated as to the person in the business. They're going to run the business, but how are they going to do it fairly? And what's the best approach to take? Should that person own more than fifty, more than fifty percent? So he or she has control. Uh, do we divide it up equally um, and and backfill it with other assets? There's all those kind of discussions that have have to go along, and um, it's best if you can have an open, frank discussion. And the you know, the children can put put their two cents in, and and um, so that the patriarch or matriarch or both can look at that and say and understand everybody's position and try to get to the, the the best approach. No, that's a good point there, Ed. I'm glad you kind of segued into that example because that was where I was going to take the conversation where you're, you've got any, you know, an instance where let's say child A, yes, is involved in the business, child B, C, D maybe are not. How do you navigate that conversation? So that's a great example. And thanks, thanks for shedding some light on that there. Uh, let's pivot and look at kind of this succession planning uh, umbrella, if you will, from a, from a 10,000 foot view. Uh, Ed, I'll let you bat lead off on this, but I obviously want to get Frank's take as well. And that is, uh, how, how does a succession plan ultimately, uh, address potential threats, let's say to the business. Um, and also, you know, well, not only threats, but maybe let's say taxes, if you're viewing that from the lens of a threat to the business, maybe a lack of competency, even towards the business, uh, individual financial problems that are associated with the heirs, uh, maybe divorce or any interfamily issues. How does ultimately succession planning address these really, what seems to be a multitude of threats that can come at a, a given family business? Yeah, that, that's that, that's an excellent question, Ryan. I think the first um, step that I like to ha have is a shareholders agreement, if, if it's a corporation or an operating agreement, if it's an LLC. And in that operating agreement, it it prohibits anybody that's a that's a non-family member from being an owner unless everybody consents. So one of the big concerns that uh, family businesses have is the dreaded in-laws. The in-laws are going to try to get into the business. If there's a divorce, they're going to take that part of the business. So in these agreements, in these shareholders agreements or operating agreements, I typically make provide a provision that if um, someone else 
gets possession of that either by virtue of death, by virtue of divorce, or maybe a bankruptcy, that then the remaining shareholders or remaining owners have the right to buy out that person so that they, they don't have to be stuck with the bankruptcy trustee or um, an in-law, former in-law. So that's, that's um, one of the, the first things that I, I like to do. And then talk about, you know, I'll let Frank weigh in and then we can talk about some other aspects of how to move the wealth. Because one of the issues that you, that you can likely have with the estate taxes, and if you have to pay estate taxes, do you, are you going to have to sell some of the business or borrow a big amount of money to pay the tax? So, uh, but I'll let Frank chime, chime in on. Yeah, I always, I always find the uh, mathematical or tax side um, easier to facilitate a discussion than some of the personal stuff like a prenuptial agreement or a postnuptial agreement where, you know, it's like you you're in this romantic phase where you have a child that's getting married and they have to sign an agreement that may deny them some wealth if if uh, things don't go right. The other thing I find too that's a little bit risky um, bringing family members in is they've seen the business successful and with AI coming about strong and, and different industries having different regulations imposed, whether if you're in an extermination business and then there's environmental things changing that are making the business less attractive versus the financial industry, you know, may start to get compressed in terms of compensation. I see it with doctors. Doctors are, you know, um, retiring earlier because they don't want the malpractice insurance and it's getting harder to make money. But you bring someone in who's seen success and they built that they've anchored that that perspective. Um, I think the behavioral side is more challenging than what Ed and I do for a living, which is coming up with, well, how much tax do you want to mitigate? <laughs> you know, because we could we could figure that out. It's uh, how do you deal with behavior of three or four different personalities? Yeah, I mean, individual opinions, behaviors obviously can throw uh, curveballs, shall we say, into these scenarios. But guys, I want to I want to circle back at a, an important point that uh, you know Frank had mentioned a moment ago, and that was this idea of a family constitution and and kind of reaching a set of parameters and agreements ahead of time. So you know, when the the big moment, let's let's say, for wealth transfer, business transfer comes into play, we're still upholding values, so on and so forth. But Frank, during that process of of the financial, or, or I'm sorry, the family constitution, or just even these discussions, how important would you say is transparency, communication, uh, you know, even just flat out involvement in the succession planning process? Are all family members on board during this? Is it just the matriarch or patriarch? How does how does it ultimately play out uh, in your eyes, Frank? That's a really really good question, and there are experts that talk about a, a, a process where you talk to husband and wife first, the, the founders, or in many cases, 43% of the time, it's a blended marriage. So you have different bloodline allegiances uh, mm -hmm. among some couples. Um, and then you got the different children in their maturity level or their, their perspective level. So I don't think there's a perfect script for when you talk to them and how you talk to them and how transparent you are. 
I think um, I'm going to let Ed comment more on that, but there's times where I, I could see you being too transparent too early uh, because then they start to focus in on the money and the dollars and they're not looking at all the risks and they're not looking at all the uh, values that um, took years to establish. So I'm interested in what Ed has to say on that because I think that the family constitution is a good uh, reference point to revisit annually at least, um, but there's no perfect script that I know of. I agree with you 100%, Frank. There is no perfect script because everybody's human. Everybody has comes at it from a different perspective. Uh, some people are comfortable about talking about succession. Some people are very, very uncomfortable about talking about their death. They just can't do it. And so how is all this going to work? The ideal situation is when they can sit down in a room and talk about it and say, and everybody can express where they're coming from and hopefully make some decisions that everybody uh, agrees with. Frankly, that's oftentimes rare. Um, sometimes you'll need a consultant or somebody else to help you along the way to kind of mm. play middleman and, and, and give, give advice and point counterpoint. It's, it's, it's a very difficult thing. And the, the, the one thing that you don't want or that the mother and the father don't want is, you know, they're gone and then everybody's fighting over this and their family falls apart. They don't have any relationships with their siblings and their their nieces and nephews and the grandchildren and all that. So that's a, that's a real problem. So, but, you know, back to it, transparency, transparency is the best approach if you can do it. And communication is obviously uh, involved in that transparency. Of course, of course. And, and gentlemen, let's uh, let's talk tools now. Uh, I know trusts. Frank and I have had a lot of conversations surrounding trusts and different vehicles that can be utilized for a litany of reasons when it comes to wealth management as a whole. But specifically with succession planning in mind, Ed, why don't you take lead on this one? But uh, what are some of the legal structures you see in play, like a trust, uh, that could be used to ensure a successful transfer of ownership and assets and liquidity and the whole nine yards when it comes to family wealth? And also, how can some of those tools also maybe mitigate some of those potential disputes we were alluding to earlier? Yeah, so um, the, the, I think the, you know, the best tool, at least initially, is to establish trust during lifetime and transfer and begin the transfer of assets to the children, however it's agreed upon. Um, the, that approach, because one, um, you can transfer those assets at a much lower value than you would if you own the whole thing at death. Because if you transfer minority interests, and the and I'm assuming this business is is not a publicly traded business, so it's lacks marketability. You can take a substantial discount off the value, so you can transfer something that's worth hundred dollars and maybe value it at sixty sixty dollars or sixty five dollars, something like that. So that moves assets out without having to incur the estate tax. Um, also, by having trustees, you can decide who's going to be in charge of voting those shares, um, whether that's a third party, the children collectively, 
or you can, you know, if there's two spouses and one person owns the business, you can set it up so that I'll set up the trust, at least initially with, let's say I'm running the business with my wife is the trustee. And so she can control everything. So that that's a good mechanism. After my wife's gone, then there's another, then there is an issue. Sometimes you'll use something called a trust protector, someone who you obviously trust that, that hopefully the kids trust or respect, and that person can come in and try to mediate any disputes. I've also had trusts well, I've prepared and that require the children to go to mediation if there's a dispute, and they, hopefully they can mediate it at that level. Because um, the whole point, at least in my view, is to be able to convey the value, convey it to who you want, and not make the family um, so that the children don't speak with one another. That's, you know, the last thing, you know, you talk to the clients, the last thing they want is that to happen. And, and, and this is, and dealing with this process is oftentimes where I see that happen, unfortunately. Sure. Sure. Frank, uh, any thoughts on this uh, with regard to the vehicles and tools available? No, I, I agree with Ed. I think uh, the tools are only as good as the people who utilize them. And uh, the, the odds, the percentages are, you know, after the second generation, it's very rare for that longevity to continue. So sometimes life insurance, sometimes a exit plan uh, to mitigate the tax so that Going back to the original question, um, how do we optimize the value? The value might be worth X today. It could be worth $50 million today, but the industry is moving in a direction where it might not be worth anything if you don't come up with a plan. And you know everybody could benefit from the plan. Um, and I like what Ed said, that you do it while everybody is living and everybody's lucid. And you kind of have these family meetings off campus uh, to, you know, revisit that and to revisit the, revisit the value structure. Um, and I know today, Ed, Ed knows as well, he's probably getting a lot of questions about, you know, should I, what do you think about the exemption that we have? We know that families that have over $26 million are subject to 40% uh, gross federal tax. And in certain states, it's even more. Um, what do what what do we do now? Do we wait till the election? Do we wait till uh, things get better? And I know that's a loaded question, and it's uh, broader than this meeting, but I think it's relevant because sometimes money and the optimization of that money or the leverage of it gets people together and gets their attention before the human side becomes uh, more pronounced. Um, I will answer that question, but I, the one thing that you, you talked about that I just want to raise, uh, cause people, um, might find it interesting is, uh, remember what I was talking about? There's not enough, if there's not enough assets to satisfy the children, if you want to give the business to the one child and satisfy the other life insurance is a great vehicle to make that up. So I can make it up that, that businesses worth $10 million. So, and I have no other assets or minimal other assets, I can go buy a $10 million policy so that my kids can get the 10 million and my other child can get the business of an equivalent value and that works. So life insurance can be a great, great vehicle 
to satisfy this problem. So I just wanted to mention that. So now- Usually pennies on the dollar, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yes. Um, now to the exemption. So as we sit here today um, for 2023, the exemption, each person has an exemption that they can pass assets to someone other than their spouse and not pay any estate taxes. That amount currently is $12,920,000. In 2024, it increases to $13,610,000. So a married couple, round numbers, currently has $26 million that they can distribute. Next year, it'll be round numbers, $27 million. Now, at the end of 2025, the Trump Tax Act sunsets and that exemption, by virtue of that, that exemption gets cut in half, okay? So it's indexed for inflation over the next two years. So it'll be somewhere, assuming that occurs, it'll be somewhere around seven to seven and a half million. So for a married couple, somewhere around 15 million. So that's 12, $13 million difference um, that's gonna occur in two years. Uh, if if the legislation uh, doesn't change. So Frank's question is, should we begin, should we enter into a process now uh, over the next two years to, to move 26 million or 27 million out of our estates so that um, we can minimize the estate tax? Uh, obviously in order to do that, you have to have wealth in, in excess of that amount. But the good, the good plan it would be to establish with something that's called SLATS, Spousal Lifetime Access Trust, which essentially means I set up a trust for my wife and the children. My wife sets up a trust for me and the children. We put $13 million into each of those trusts. We have access to both of those trusts. Um, if we need it, we presume we have other money, but if we need it, we have access to it. Um, so it's a very good tool. And what that does is it gets those assets out of your state, plus all appreciation from today till I die. So you can get that can move a lot of assets out of the estate. Now, so for people of, of high net worth, then that's, that's a good plan. And I think they should do it, particularly if they would do it anyway. If they can afford to do it, let's get it out now and not have that reduction and subject to estate taxes. Now for people who don't have the asset value to distribute 27 million, um, what, I, some, what I suggest to, one of, to some of my clients is that one of the spouses uses up the $13 million exemption um, and the other one does not. So you've at least kind of hedged your bet. The downside to that is if I set it up for the benefit of my wife and my kids and my wife dies, I lose access to it. My kids still have access to it, but I lose access to it. So you have to be comfortable with that. Maybe I'm still earning income so I can afford that or there's some life insurance on my wife so that if that happens, um, I have liquidity. Um, so I think for a lot of people, they should certainly think about it. And, and one mechanism to do it is let's, is prepare those slats. You don't have to fund them today. You have until 2025 to see what the legislator do, legislation does, if there's any changes, or simply um, fund it over the course of time. 
So I like to have the trust set up. My advice to clients is that uh, let's have this trust set up so you don't have to wait for me to draft them. And they're already set up and you can fund them whenever you want or not fund them if you decide not to. So that that's that's a long answer to your question. I'm sorry, but um, it, it's actually fairly complicated. It's it's a very good answer and it's uh, timely because there are a lot of people being recommended spousal lifetime access trust. The one question I would ask for you, Ed, on behalf of all of our followers is, does it become effective when the document is signed or when the 790 gift tax return is filed? Well, it, it's actually when the when the contribution is made to the trust and that's when it goes into effect and then you will file a form 709 which is a gift tax return right. and um that gets the statute of limitations running if if for example you're taking a discount on this family business that we have we're moving that family business out at a discount the irs has three years to look at it well, this is great. This is great, guys. Edgar Migna, really appreciate you stopping by the show and, and carving some time out of your busy schedule to share your insight on this. A uh, lot of good stuff with regard to succession planning. And of course, you know, to our audience, I think it's important to obviously note that, look, these are general questions that we're talking through with Ed and Frank today. Uh, every family, as well as every family business, uh, you know, has its own dynamics at play, which means uh, it requires a customized plan. So to go through that succession planning process, process. You know, you want to make sure you're seeking guidance from professionals like Ed, like Frank, uh, to kind of walk through the family business succession process for you and your family business. And, and Frank, for anybody out there that could use, you know, a helping hand or just opening up a dialogue, what would be the best way, Frank, they could get in touch with you and your team? To I, I think the first thing is to set up an appointment for a discovery meeting. Uh, our, our process doesn't obligate you with that. And then we look and see if there's a fit. And from there, uh, often we'll do a financial plan in concert or independent of their investments. Because a lot of people feel like they have to invest with you before they get your advice. Um, we, we believe the plan is the cornerstone. And when by the time we get to Ed, uh, we've already given them some idea of what can be done to mitigate the tax. We don't practice law. Um, so we have to bring in Ed uh, to execute what we think might be a good idea. Fantastic. Well, hey, Frank, really appreciate your time. Ed, always appreciate you whenever we are able to, to bend your ear and get you for a few minutes. So thank you so much for jumping aboard, Ed. Thank you for having me. Of thank course, you. of course. Uh, and hey, look, folks, we're going to take one final moment, as we always do, and thank you all for stopping by and spending some time with us on the podcast today. If you took anything away from today's discussion surrounding succession planning for family businesses and business owners uh, with Edgar Migna uh, and Frank, of course, be sure to go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whichever platform you checked us out on today so that you don't miss out on great conversations just like these where we take some of the big wealth management discussions and topics that Frank is simply conversing with his clients about and bringing them right here to you guys on this show. So by hitting subscribe, won't miss out on that, any of that great stuff. But for Frank and Ed, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long today, but we appreciate you stopping by and being with us on Wisdom and Wealth.
The opinions voiced in this material are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. The Astorino Financial Group and LPL Financial do not provide legal or tax advice or services. Please consult your legal or tax advisor regarding your specific situation. LPL Financial representatives offer access to trust services through the private trust company, NA, an affiliate of LPL Financial.